The podcast you are listening to is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. Lady, have you any idea how fast you were going? Let me see your license and registration. I like your gun. Hello and welcome to Sequelcast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi. With me is William Thrasher. And I know what it's like to have survived trauma. Yes, we are in the third entry of the Terminator films with 2003's Terminator 3 Rise of the Machine. Machine, sorry. Uh, directed by Jonathan Mostow, produced by Hal Lieberman, Colin Wilson, Mario, Mario Kassar, Andrew Vajna, Joel B. Michaels. Story by John Brancato, Michael Ferris, and Ted Safarian, with a screenplay by John Brancato and Michael Ferris, based on characters created by James Cameron and Gail Ann Hurd, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Nick Stahl, Claire Danes, and Christina Loken. Music by Marco Beltrami, cinematography by Don Burgess, edited by Neil Travis and Nicholas Detoth. Um, this, um, you know, uh, according to Box Office Mojo, had a budget of $187 million with a box office worldwide of $433 million. So, you know, not as... I think it, it still made, I think, a, a good profit, but you figure marketing in there and stuff, and it was not Terminator 2 numbers, and this is uh, 12 years after Terminator 2 came out. Yeah, this... This was a a surprise uh, when it came out because I, I I feel like everyone felt if we don't get a Terminator movie uh, or a sequel to T two within five years we're just not going to get any more uh, and this is also this is an interesting movie because this is is Arnold Schwarzenegger in full on action mode but this is coming after several years of him sort of trying to do family comedies and gentler movies this is this is a post jingle all the way Terminator. Yeah, you know, the um this era in Schwarzenegger's career was was very interesting because he was trying to do I wouldn't say, you know, much different material, but some darker materials like with End of Days with him versus Gabriel Byrne as the devil. Um and then he did sort of safer things like Oh, um the is it the sixth day, I think, where it's like he has a, a clone or something and Robert Duvall's in it. Oh, it's the yeah, sixth day or seventh day, which I believe I believe that mm-hmm. came out a year or two before this because I remember watch I remember watching that on TV yeah. around the time this movie came out. But I mean, more or less, this was the last movie he did before he ran and was elected for governor of California. And as I recall, for several years that created some controversy because the movie was scheduled to be released around the. Uh, in the run up to the election, just just by coincidence, uh, that happened, and so there was a lot of there, there was a lot of problems with sort of the Federal Election Commission and the FCC about well, if a person starring in a movie is running for uh, elected office, is a commercial for his movie then by default an endorsement? It's fascinating to me how specific that can get because you you have like. 
even people not running for a position as big as governor, you had, I think, in the in the 70s, George Takei was uh, running for, I don't know, like, some, like, Department of Transportation thing in California. Yeah, I believe he, he, was, and, he was a public transportation commissioner. Well, yeah, that's it, commissioner. And um, they were trying to argue, oh, because you're, um, because there's Star Trek, the animated series on the air, you have airtime. And, and it, it, you know, it just gets very needly and, and stupid when people that are actors run and it just always creates a circus and this election in california in 2003 had like you know people on the ballot including one of the pe- one of the gallagher uh personas gallagher was on two, the ballot yeah uh gary mm-hmm. coleman as i recall or was it emmanuel lewis one of the two uh there was a porn yeah, star running yeah. yeah natalie natalie portman had called for a vote of no confidence uh, uh against the governor of california who was who had to be replaced in a special election and it was well to to say it was madness by today's standards it was a mild fit um but yeah, this this was such a bizarre election, uh, and then yeah, and then Schwarzenegger became governor of California, served out his term, and left, uh, which was an, rather interesting. Well, and as far as conservatives go, he was more centrist in a lot of ways. But we're not. This is not you know a podcast about politics. But I think that that context is interesting. A lot of people thought at the time, that, wow, if you know Schwarzenegger really becomes a politician and does it full-time, this might be his last film. He goes off on a Terminator 3. Yeah, there there were people who were expecting kind of a retirement. But I, I, I like that he, he did his public service and then he went back to acting. Although I, I do want to talk about his acting, too. So I, you know, I just talked about how this is a post-jingle-all-the-way Terminator film. So one, one thing that I have noticed uh, watching these movies is how Arnold has improved as an actor. You know, going from a guy yeah. who was pretty much only capable of being stiff and robotic and, men- and menacing going to be somebody who actually can act and maybe not necessarily a great actor, but certainly much better than he was when he began. And so, so, you know, he was great in the first Terminator. He was, dare I say, even better in the second Terminator. I think he's too good to play the Terminator at this point. You can see him chafing Mm. against the limited range of the role all throughout this film. Especially there's a sequence towards the end, I think where Although he's rather good, yeah, I, that's a great point because he's playing a you know a, a robot or cyborg or whatever you want to call it, which means you restrain your emotion, you read everything sort of flat, and it, it's all you know different versions of that same model of Terminator that he did in that first film, and and so think about as an actor how much that would hamper you. Um, one thing I, I think Thrasher you mentioned a few weeks ago when we decided to do this Terminator series is you had never seen. Uh, this sequel, Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines. Yeah, when, Why when is it that? came because out, this was a pretty big summer movie. Yeah, when so. it came out, I just was not at all interested in it, and so I just let it. I let it completely pass me by. Everything I saw in the trailers just kind of you know turned me off. Uh, and so I just I just had I had no interest. I, actually, I really haven't had any interest in any Terminator film since T two. Uh, it's just that I happen to have seen the most recent one, uh, Genesis. Uh, and in a, in a lot of ways, I think you know it's it's strange. I probably should have seen this in theaters at the time. Um, I probably I think I would have enjoyed it, but I wouldn't call it a good a good movie. Yeah, and uh, and we'll get into that. I did see this in the theater, and I felt 
kind of mixed on it. I mean, looking right here at this poster that's on um, Wikipedia, this poster is quite misleading. You have an army of all these T-800s, and <laughs> you think even of the title Rise of the Machines, you're going to get some huge robot action. And there is action in this movie, but it's not like Lord of the Rings sort of scale robot versus humanity uh, that you might expect from such a title as Rise of the Machines. This very much feels like kind of like a Star Wars prequel or something. It's 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 a lot of setup. Yeah, and there's there's a, a lot of CGI in this movie. Not as much of it is embarrassing as I thought, because uh, there's a lot of CGI from this period that just does not age well at all. And and yet. Some of the embarrassing CGI is stuff that they figured out in T2 that is less embarrassing in that movie. Yeah, I, I don't know what, what it is, because they, I mean, a lot of this budget was special effects, and it, it just could be when this was released, 2003, CG had been around for a while, you know, Jurassic Park was, what, 94 or something like that, and and you where they started using it more heavy in, in mainstream movies in multiple scenes, and... um. I think it might be, you know, the textures look good, but it's something about the lighting. And in this film, you have a lot of scenes like in broad daylight, which never does CG any favors. Well, the um, the liquid, so the liquid metal effect. So in this one, the main antagonist is the TX, yet another prototype Terminator from the future. This one is a mechanical endoskeleton with weapons and liquid metal skin so it can still shapeshift, although it doesn't use the shapeshifting nearly as much as I would have expected. But the little liquid metal effects look terrible in this. Yeah, they they do. It's um, too too cartoony, I guess. Too kind of more like something you see in a video game. Yeah, um, I'll say it's it's very cutscene uh, the way the way it looks. Right. I, I was talking uh, online on on Twitter to uh, Gary Otto, um, a, a producer I'm doing some work with, and he was saying that he thought Terminator 3 was a bit of a farce. And I sort of agree with that. Like, there's definitely seems to be more comedic moments, and a lot of times it feels like they're just trying to remake Terminator 2. Yeah, there there, there are too many jokes in this. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I like a certain amount of humor, but, like, I, the humor that works best, I find, in Terminator is when it's Schwarzenegger being deadpan. But now he's playing a, a Terminator that quips, and that does not work. And that's just the character-based comedy. There's a lot of situation comedy in this that uh, that that falls flat for me. Yeah, so um, one last thing before we get into the plot proper. Uh, it turns out in the news this week, uh, they released some, you know, set photos at some uh, movie theater um, distributor convention thing. From Terminator Dark Fate, I think, the the new one, number six. Oh, God, that's another refrigerator magnet title. Yeah, and uh, um, the LG, the actress that plays Sarah Connor, uh, Linda Hamilton, they were asking her what she thought about the sequels, and in Variety she's quoted as, well, the sequels they made after Terminator 2 weren't very good, were they? And I don't think that's entirely fair. On the other hand, um, as I learned from some research... Each of these next few sequels will be covering Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, Terminator Salvation, and Terminator Genesis were meant to kick off trilogies. That never happened, Ugh. right? So in, in a lot of these films, we'll see a lot of setup, but no uh, payoffs because they're supposed to start little mini trilogies in the middle of a series. 
Which which is weird because of of all the movies, this one didn't feel like the beginning of a trilogy. This this had a definite end point, which I really really appreciated. But you know what I didn't appreciate the absence of Linda Hamilton. I, I just think she refused to do it. Well, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure she did. Whether they yeah. she refused because of the weakness of the script or the weakness of the, of the role for this particular movie, or whether they didn't offer enough money. But her absence is really, really felt. And then it's like at the halfway point, they sort of toss off why she's not in the film, and it's it's a it's a real letdown. It is. I believe we'll hear Linda Hamilton do a voiceover in one of the other sequels, but um, we'll find that out when we get there. <laughs> um, so the the big thing with this movie is um, Terminator Two at the T one thousand. This one has the TX, a lady Terminator, which I think is a very lazy idea. Um, and Christina Loken plays the TX. And um, what what a hard role to do. What difficult roles to fill to be a uh, an enemy against, you know, to face up um, cyborg to cyborg against Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, I think... I think what it is is because I think there there are moments where she has this perfect icy look on her face. There are these moments where she captures the same remorseless killer attitude that we have seen in all the previous incarnations of the Terminator, but they are always undercutting it with these weird acting moments and and with bad comedy. I mean, the first... There, there, there's a scene. There's a scene where it's it's implied she kills a police officer, but mm-hmm. all the tension in that scene is completely undercut because of comedy breasts. Well, let's explain the comedy breasts. We were talking about that last night. Yeah. So, um, what? So, one of her first things is when uh, when the TX travels back in time, emerging from uh, a bunch of mannequins in a shop window, which is a little bit on the nose when the time vortex opens up. Um, she steals a sports car and is driving around really, really fast. And uh, she gets pulled over by a police officer. And in what is a runner, you know, she's, you know, she says, you know, I, I like that gun. And then we cut away and our, and she's armed with his gun afterwards. We presume that she killed him. Um, but before that happens, when she uh, pulls over, she sees this Victoria's secret billboard and rather than shapeshift into the Victoria's Secret model, she looks down and we see her breasts expand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just like, and, and then that's it. Like it's, it really it it under it undercuts any terror I'm feeling because of her character. Uh, also, you mentioned you know the cutaway with that first person that she meets. They do that a lot with her. They don't show the first Terminator in particular showed you know the after effects of of the violence and I wouldn't say it was super gory but it, you could see the gunshots it, it just overall felt darker and here it it seems like they're it was it's made for television or something in, in some level yeah we we don't we don't see her kill we that always it always cuts away and we might hear a scream or something but well you know it's funny this is this is with the exception of of um. One, uh, with the exception of uh, Kate Brewster's boyfriend uh, being killed or fiance being killed, there's really no blood uh, in in any of the violence here because they're always cutting away or it's always massive property damage uh, uh, to the to the point. There's even a scene 
where uh, where Schwarzenegger's Terminator uh, takes a a minigun and just unloads on a whole bunch of police officers, and we even see his kill count in his heads up display stay at zero. Yeah, it, um, and and I know, and we talked about last week with Terminator Two. There's the big plot point of the um, you know the Terminator has to shoot people in the knees or whatever, and. But we see I, but, him shoot people in the knees. We see those injuries. But here so, we don't. Yeah, it just it's a it's a it's a dramatic kind of shot from down below of the Terminator or the TX firing their gun, and then it, it cuts to the next scene or it cuts to the corpse already on the ground. Like you feel kind of cheated, like you do in a horror film, where they don't really um, go for it with the kill scenes and make them juicy. Yeah, and I. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if that's just if that's a side effect of where where Schwarzenegger is in his in his you know career because you know he he can now dictate he wants to play the hero. I I, I feel in a lot in a lot of ways it might have been more interesting if he still played the villain uh, in this film. And we get a little bit of that towards the end when he gets reprogrammed by the TX, but not much of it. But he's like, you know, I don't actually want to kill anybody. That would that's not who I am as an actor anymore. Well, you're never killing anybody. That's acting. I, I don't know why I'm having an I'm not sure why I'm arguing with my impersonation of Arnold Schwarzenegger right now. Uh and it it is interesting. You you look at the, the film, it it starts much like the first two films where you, you have these two different um terminators go in this case it's to present day at the time, much like T two was present day at the time, so in 2004 or whatever, uh, or close to present day. Um, and it, you see them kind of do their different thing, like the, the introduction to Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator. And this, I think, is a pretty lame joke, is that he goes into a gay bar. I, I feel, no, he, do, he doesn't. So I felt, so oh. I w- felt like I wished on a monkey's paw. In okay. this scene, because, you know, he appears in the desert. He's completely naked. Uh, we get a cool time travel effect and he starts walking to a bar. And I'm like, oh, damn it. Do we have to see him do the whole biker bar thing again? And then he goes in and it's it's a honky tonk bar, but they're doing a ladies night with male strippers. Is it? OK. So everyone's assumes that like he's a stripper. Mm-hmm. Everyone sort of assumes that he even then the guy, the bouncer out front, you're supposed to use the other entrance. Um and everyone assumes he's a stripper whose gimmick is he just stands around naked from the very beginning. But there's a, there's a there's a, a leather themed uh, stripper on the stage who is not just gay but a flaming gay stereotype, right? Um, and it's th- like the the idea that the Terminator who needs clothes would go to a place where a person wearing his look would be voluntarily taking their clothes off. That that could have been clever. Like I think it would have been hilarious if he was just standing there in the audience, like snatching the clothes yeah, yeah. as they were being thrown at, at 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 these thirsty, thirsty women. But instead, he gets into a fight with the stripper, which I really did not like. Not just that. There's the lame joke of he, you know, he has his outfit that looks like that classic Terminator outfit. And then he reaches for the sunglasses, but oh, because it's the you know ladies' night at the bar, and the guy was gay. The glasses look like Elton John, like big star sunglasses. Yeah, because because the stripper's gay, he would have giant Elton John sunglasses. Like, how would that work in the act? 
Uh, right. And then later, you know, when he gets in the car, he finds the real sunglasses. But like when I saw this in the theater at that scene, everyone audibly groaned. You could hear it in the theater. That's pretty hard to do to make yeah. people like. It'd be one thing if this was a movie like like Airplane or some kind of a, a Terminator spoof or something. But to to see this, and it gets things off to a really bad start. Well, and in Terminator 2, would we get that scene and he comes out of the bar and they're playing bad to the bone, which which is a cliche now, but wasn't a cliche then. That's still pretty powerful. But in here, they're playing just this generic club track. And the only lyric I can make out is, he's a funky man. He's a funky man. Which is not what you want playing. Like it's, yeah. There's this is this is just one of several examples of some bad comedy in this movie. Uh, it's uh, odd as we move along in the film. They take a long time to get to John Connor, who is our hero, and he's not played by Edward Furlong. Instead, he's played by Nick Stahl. Um, yes, Nick so Stahl, pl- I had recognized from Sin City. Oh yeah, uh, as the guy who. The yellow man or whatever he bleeds yellow. Um, I haven't seen that film in a while, but and and he's okay. But I wonder why didn't they go with Edward Furlong? Was it all his, his drug problems well, or he just wasn't popular enough? Supposedly it was because of some uh, some drug addiction problems he had at the mm. time. That's too bad. It would have been nice to see what he could have done because the way Nick Stahl plays the character, it, he's okay, but it feels like a completely different person. And and one thing interesting because we do get a bit of him at the beginning where he talks about how he's you know he's Judgment Day didn't happen and he's he's living off the grid, um, but he he doesn't come back until you know after the Terminators are already you know coming after him where he breaks into a veterinarian's office to to steal drugs I guess painkillers that's something that I don't quite get um, do. Why why is he taking those drugs? Like it's not like he has an old injury and he's trying to deal with the pain. It's not like I mean there there if he's doing it to get high, there are much easier ways to get high that don't involve messing around with the doses for animal tranquilizers. He I think it's just saying like you know he's an, he's an addict to opioids and he decides like maybe he thought for the hell of it, hey, you know, I'll I'll try and get stuff from a uh from a from a veterinarian, I don't know. I mean, that it would make it would have made more sense if it was in a hospital, wouldn't it have? Or, 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 like, a pharmacy, or like a pharmacy, right? yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, because also in a pharmacy, you could also justify it if he said he's been living off the grid. Well, maybe he goes there to get you know supplies to patch himself up if he needs it. Yeah, although we don't get a sense that he's been living a violent life. He's just you know he's been working construction crews, uh, and that's mm-hmm. that's really all we know about his life is that Sarah Connor's not there. And he is working on construction crews. Which, oh, and the, so, so, the setup. So I've got to say this. Oh. That's probably yep. the most realistic thing in this movie. You can live that way because it's a lot easier for contractors to pay people under the table. If you want money, no questions asked, no paperwork, you get a job working with a contractor. Yeah, That's how you live off the grid. I know especially in... That. Especially in construction, um, or even in, in some places in the restaurant industry, uh, they'll pay under the table for that sort of thing, or for bartenders sometimes even. So yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point. I think that's a good detail. And I, I do like you get this setup where um, the person that's called in is some sort of a manager at the veterinarian, Kate Brewster, played by Claire Danes. And, um, and I, I have to say, she's not 
bad, but at the same time, it's we have a character that we don't that's new to the Terminator mythos, and um, the way she's introduced is like going is going right into an action scene, and I would have appreciated more kind of character moments because she is able to defend herself. She tricks him. She locks him in a big dog cage. And meanwhile, the Terminator, uh, the T-800 and the TX has converged on that same location. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's an, and it's a neat scene. Cause once again, when, when uh, Schwarzenegger's Terminator comes in, John Connor assumes, Oh, they've sent another one to kill me. Uh, I, I do like those moments when you don't know, uh, when the characters don't know whether the Terminators are there to help them or hurt them. But yeah, there's a lot, but there's a lot of back and forth. Um, uh, Schwarzenegger's Terminator locks Kate Brewster in the veterinary into, into the veterinarian van, um, which, yeah. which as the f- movie develops, I realize shouldn't happen. That's hmm. a first draft problem. Well, okay. So later in the film, they do they get a whole lot of exposition dialogue from the T eight hundred, which I think a is another whole lot. which is another mistake because the Terminator never talked that much in the other films, and Schwarzenegger is better when he doesn't talk. But as part of that, they set up this Kate Brewster person is going to be the future wife of John Connor, and he's trying to keep both of them safe. But you, you think it's a, a mistake because it's separating a main character from the action? No, no, because uh, – so one of the things that, that happens about midway through the film is John Connor starts giving the Terminator orders, and you know he specifies, I have not been, pro- I have not been programmed to obey you – uh, and then, and as part of the exposition, we find out John Connors didn't send this Terminator back in time. Uh, Kate Brewster sent this Terminator back in time, and he has been reprogrammed to obey her. But he doesn't start obeying her until that exposition scene. Uh-huh. He has been yeah. violating her directives throughout the movie. That's, uh, that's I didn't catch that, but that's a great detail. Yeah, that... that uh, and maybe this comes from reading a lot of Asimov, but when you establish how a robot works, that better be consistent, especially when it's a literal-minded robot like the Terminator or Cyborg. You know what? You know how it is. Uh, this this first sort of big action scene we see, I think, it is pretty good because it's sort of it, it's at night. You see the two Terminators converge, and then. Um, in, you know, sort of like out of nowhere, you see this big truck driven by the Arnold Schwarzenegger ram into Christina Loken into the side of the building. And you think like, oh, she's dead. It's like they they do a great job of having like a big impact with these collisions and explosions in this movie. Yeah, the practical effects in this are really messy and have a lot of impact. But th- th- that was immediately him him running over the TX that was immediately undercut for me because when he does that, so remember, he crashes into the veterinarian's office. When he does that, the gas station next door explodes. Yeah. Um. Why the <laughs> hell does the gas station explode other than explosions look cool in movies? I don't know. At least, you know, at least in that original RoboCop, uh, when the gas station explodes, it's because there's loose gas everywhere leading up to the tanks like that set up somewhat but yeah it's just about explosions in movies looking cool you have to have a big whammo so there it goes uh and uh there's also some weird business where the um tx is going inside the vet office and everything and she she like uh they start they 
she has this ability where she licks blood and can tell whose blood who it is. Yeah, she can do genetic analysis, which is which is neat, but they don't do too much with it other than her finding John Connor's blood and realizing she's found an overriding priority target. And meanwhile, they have uh, she's killed a lot of other people, you know, not just trying to do John Connor. And we realize, uh, and they said, they Schwarzenegger just flat out says later that the TX's targets include all these people that became important members in John Connor's army. Yeah, all the, all of his lieutenants and, and, and allies. Which I like that detail. I think that's good. That it's not just John Connor is the only target. Like that, if you're going to go back in time, you might as well take out a lot of them. That's true. Well, there's there's no subtlety with this with this Terminator. They're they're not like targeting one person. They're targeting everybody. Um, although that's something that's weird is how much gunplay this term the, the the TX does. Only because like. One of the things that was so effective with the T-1000 of the previous movie was that its body was the weapon. Um, and yet with like with the, the TX, the TX is never doing fancy blade stuff. The TX only really uses that buzzsaw arm and that plasma gun arm, but never uses, like with one exception, never uses those on people. Like you might as well use the mm. hardware if you've, if you've given it to the character. <laughs> I'm not sure what the advantage of a firearm is for this Terminator. Right. Uh, and they do too much. So there was a gag in Terminator 2 where I, th- I think they're calling um, John Connor's step-parents on the phone. And Schwarzenegger makes himself sound like someone else and they dub in a different voice. And here at the TX, they do that all the damn time. Well, the other thing, and so this is something, this this feels like a script that was written in the 90s. This feels like a script that could have been written maybe a year after Terminator 2 because and a lot of and a lot because of the way the technology is depicted. I mean, what does the TX do when she gets a cell phone? She uses she uses that cell phone to make modem noises with her mouth to connect to the internet. That's a painful moment. I kind of like it's it. It's 80s I, robot from yeah. the Muppets. Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, I You know, I do like those modem noises. I have some nostalgia for them. It, it sounds, I like just like how mechanical it is. But it, I, I it, do too, but, but, the, but computer technology and the internet was beyond that at this point. This, this yeah, was in the right. age when high-speed cable internet, mm-hmm. various forms of high-speed internet were becoming pretty common. And it's not the only piece of outdated, like, outdated representation of technology we get it's it it makes me feel like this script just sat on a shelf for a few years well and then you have the talk to the hand joke at the gas station oh lord yeah that was hack in the 90s and and what happens with that is they go to get supplies from the gas station and Schwarzenegger just picks up everything and they're like sir sir you got to pay for it and Schwarzenegger turns towards the camera, holds his hand out, and goes, talk to the hand. It, this is like, you would see this on Ed McBain in The Simpsons. Okay. Oh, what other uh, uh, cheesy uh, 90s phrases could he have done? See you, would not want to be you. I've fallen and I can't get up. Where's the meat? <laughs> Where's the meat? That's perfect. But um, yeah. So there's you know so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of gunplay. But in the end, John Connor and uh, Schwarzenegger's Terminator they they drive off in the veterinary van uh, with Kate locked up in the back. Eventually, the TX reconstitutes herself from the rubble. And that's when we see some of the worst of the liquid metal effects when her bits of liquid metal like flow back onto her. Um, 
But one of the things that is I wish they got some more out of is that we find out um, when the police show up to investigate the explosions by the uh, the veterinarian's office. Um, we find out the T-1000 can inject nanobots into uh, machines with integrated circuits, particularly vehicles, and take them over. And she uses that to create a bunch of chaos to cover her stealing a heavy construction crane. That is so – like. I feel like that should have been that should have been the cool technology that makes the movie work and makes the Terminator a threat. I mean, could, could you imagine you're at, you're in a, you're in the city and any piece of analog tech with an integrated circuit could try to kill you? Does that get too much like Transformers at that point? Yeah, well, Transformers you know wasn't much of a thing at the time. Sure. Um, I I I just like how how creepy would that be? Is like you're you're you know you, you you're walking through a parking garage. You think you've escaped the Terminator, and all of a sudden a bunch of cars turn on and just come straight at you from all angles. Uh, there's some there's some tension that could have been built with that, but they don't really take full advantage of that of that concept. So there is a subplot they don't do a great job of setting up. They do some newscast segments where like this this uh, computer virus thing is like taking over everywhere. And it turns out it's coming from, you know, it's Skynet becoming self-aware and starting to take control of everything. And who else but Kate Brewster's father, General Brewster, is like one of the the people um, kind of in charge that has the decision to start or not activate uh, Skynet, which is sort of a trick that would just give Skynet more power. Yeah. They should, they, if, if, if this is can... movie is called Rise of the Machines, they should have concentrated on that plot more, I think. You know that's that is true. They could have done they they could have done done a bit more with with that. Um, yeah, and I guess I, I feel I feel very little for that because it does it does not have an, as much impact on the film. So one thing that's interesting uh, is there's uh, late, later on the uh, TX in the in the construction crane finds uh, finds. John Connor uh, and the Terminator and Kate, uh, and this is this probably should have been reworked to be the climax of the movie because this is the best action we mm-hmm. see in the film is this chase sequence between the veterinary van and the construction crane and the cranes creating all sorts of collateral damage, lots of practical effects, the use of CGI in this scene is very sparing, but you can only tell it's sparing because it's so obvious the handful of times it happens. And, you know, the Terminator the, gets the fuck beaten out of him. There's people jumping between vehicles. And and it's also, like, just long enough that, like, I get really excited, but I don't get exhausted by the action. I absolutely loved this scene, but nothing else in the movie compares to it. This should have been the end. Uh, you're right. And the act that, um, you have the cool action of, like, the, T-800 Terminator hanging on the edge of the crane and the crane is like being smashed through buildings as it's driving at high speeds. Like a lot of construction carnage and you have all the other people driving. Like, yeah, this is a pretty good scene with good um, good build-ups as, oh, they were trying to catch up to the TX. They're not quite there, back and forth. Uh, I agree. I think this is, this along with the scene we talked about earlier uh, with the assault on the veterinarian office or some of the best scenes in the film. And the um oh and the other thing uh, about this this sequence and this this is what whenever uh, Schwarzenegger was on a talk show not talking about his gubernatorial run 
he was talking about this scene because apparently this scene was going to be cut from the movie because it was going to be too expensive and Schwarzenegger like, no, you've got to have this scene and supposedly put some of his own money into the movie to afford to be able to do this scene. Um, Looking at this scene and looking at how much of the stunt work here is practical stunt work, um, I think what made the scene expensive was not renting the crane and doing whatever they had to do. I think what made it expensive was having to insure everyone in this scene. I think you're right. And then also what, um, like the reconstruction of what you're destroying too. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of, physical things moving around here. And, and uh, I forgot about that, but yeah, Schwarzenegger absolutely made a point of that over and over again, that I think they took money out of his salary to pay for this scene. Cause it, that's what he, he believed in giving it the extra punch it needed. And I think, you know, that, that works. This was a big, um, a big sequence, but we, we have, you know, um, the, the big exposition dump we mentioned, as the Terminator, and they, they all drive to where Sarah Connor is uh, is buried. Yeah, th- this is when we find out that the reason Sarah Connor's not in the movie is because she's dead. Yeah, we, we, we no like heroic flashback of how she died, or no uh, nothing like it's just that oh she's dead. And well, just and then well that she had you know she got leukemia mm-hmm. and had six months to live, but she held on for three years just so that she could get past the date that Judgment Day was supposed to happen on. It's a real spit in the face to Linda Hamilton's performance in the first two films, and um, I mean if, if she wouldn't agree to do the movie, couldn't you just cut this part out altogether and just make it about something else? Like I get that she is important. Well, you could always just say, you know, she went underground and not, not even I know where she is. Yeah, no, right. And that could set up for coming in in a, in a sequel or something. Although it's an interesting thing because they go into they go into a, a, a crypt and, you know, there there's there's a in the crypt is a space for Sarah Connor with the plaque that reads no fate, but what we make. And Schwarzenegger rips the coffin out. Only it turns out it's a coffin loaded with weapons. I, I like that detail. You know, she was always a well-armed woman. And that she would leave an extra treat for her son, whoever happens to expose her. Uh... But, I mean, the way Schwarzenegger uh, rips out the coffin and throws it on the ground, I gasped when I saw that in the theater. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, it, it is It is a surprise, if you, especially if you assume Lindel, Linda Hamilton's body is going to be in there. Yeah, I thought, oh, maybe would they have like Linda Hamilton with the old age makeup that was terrible from like the end of the special version of Terminator 2. I don't really know. <laughs> But yeah, and then there's uh, uh, and then um, you know the 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 cemetery gets surrounded by uh, police officers. This is where we get that bloodless scene where he's you know uh, shooting up uh, all the police officers. But one thing we do get that I I, I rather like is that um, is that Kate uh, they fire tear gas into the crypt and Kate gets out and she's taken into police custody and they send a counselor for her and it's. Ed Bain as Dr. Peter Silberman. <laughs> I love this. This is great. He he does and, the same performance as he does in the other two movies. And he's like, you know, I I, I know what you're going through. Like, it's it, the rest of the movie is not written as well as this one scene. The, well, the, it's also the performance. Like, this is comedy that, that works because it sort of ties the movies together. And I love, you know, I know what it's like to go through trauma, to be a survivor, to feel that fear. Strange things happen. You, they tell you it's going to get better but it 
doesn't. And, like, he gets this hot, harrowed look on his face and starts staring into the middle distance like someone in a Kubrick film. Um, and then, of course, it gets even better because when Schwarzenegger comes out of the crypt carrying the coffin and the minigun and he sees the Terminator again <laughs> and yeah. starts, like, backing away in terror. He just can't catch a break. It's uh, a pretty <laughs> lovely moment. Yeah, the, the only thing, I think the only thing that would have made it better is if, like, he finally, well, I guess she was right. And, like, <laughs> I, I know this would make it a completely different movie, but I almost want him to decide to be on the winning side and to join the Terminator now that it's, it is absolutely clear <laughs> that <laughs> what is, what <laughs> Connor said was not delusion, but in fact, fact. Correct. Yeah, it's, uh, but of course, the uh, TX shows up in this scene too, and there's a fight scene between uh, the T1, uh, the Schwarzenegger, and her. And this is when it, this is where we get some of the weird stuff because, like, one of the things. So I I like the idea that the uh, TX can transform parts of her body into weapons and things. That's an idea that I wish they did mm-hmm. some more with. But in this fight scene, she's like bending her joints around at impossible angles to fight, uh, like to, to fight Schwarzenegger. I really wish they had done more with that. Give her some crazy robot martial arts. Although at the same time, it does look kind of at, kind of awkward because twice in this movie we see her rotate her head three hundred and sixty degrees, and each time it's a little bit too weird. Yeah, and and the sort of like gumby nature of her limbs as they contort. The CG isn't quite there yet. The the movement is a bit too loose. It it's kind of like. Um, Oh, some of the movements of Spider-Man and then the first Sam Raimi film. Well, you know what we need, I think, is this movie has awful sound design. And there's a specific example that's about to happen, which I want to single out. But what I think what we need whenever she does one of those impossible moves or rotates her head 360 degrees, I feel like to make those scenes play better, we should hear an electric motor or something. Mm. Something, something to to express a mechanical device operating at its limits. Yeah, a motor, some some sort of a crunching thing, maybe. Yeah, a combination of the two that would make it, yeah, seem less uh, less matter of fact, make it a bit more special. But our heroes, our heroes get away uh, by stealing a hearse, and then later, you know, stealing the uh, Winnebago. But um, in in the fight, that plasma cannon arm uh, that the TX has gets severely damaged, so she can't deploy. I guess she doesn't have self repair, so she can't deploy the plasma cannon arm. So she switches to secondary weapon. Her secondary weapon, a flamethrower. That's especially Which, video gamey, and a flame. It's like who cares? I don't know. I've seen the flamethrower in so many different movies. Well, the thing that turned me against the flamethrower, and this is the sound design, the sound effect for the flamethrower is that same shitty dragon's breath sound effect that was in all <laughs> video games through the nineties, and shows up in terrible movies. Like it's, it's the it's the fire equivalent of the Wilhelm scream. What it, it probably did begin as an in joke, but now it's a horrible cliche that undercuts anything you're trying to do. Another video game sound uh, sound effect that comes to mind in a lot of films. I don't think it's in this one, but the sound effect from uh, the first Doom game of the doors opening. Oh, the click! Yeah, it was in a lot of um, science fiction films around this time as well. Oh, and also that demon noise, which showed up in a lot of things too. Yeah. 
there, there's another shitty stock sound effect uh, later when when the TX and, and Schwarzenegger have their battle in the bathrooms in um, in the military facility. There's a bit where the TX stomps on Arnold's face, and they play that generic mug breaking sound effect. <laughs> Red Letter Media talked because they, they use that anytime something falls in a Red Letter Media video, they play it, and it's used in Django Unchained when Django first meets his wife and she drops the pitcher of water that she's carrying, um, and they just play that sound effect on a loop. So if you want to know exactly what sound effect we're talking to, watch their Django Unchained review. I'm sure it's one of those things. Once you hear it, you can't unhear it. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Because the Wilhelm scream is one of those things. I um. Which I'm shocked we don't get in this movie. No, there's a lot of places where they could use it. Um, I mean, as we mentioned before, uh, in Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, they don't do a whole lot with the Skynet angle. And considering this is Rise of the Machine, this is supposed to be, you know, why uh, they start coming to power. We don't get... The answer, I think, is just really undercooked. Yeah, so like Kate decides that she can maybe get her her father to not authorize uh, slaving all the servers to the AI they're working on at the base, and but they arrive they arrive too late. They arrive after he gives the authorization to tie everything into their computer network. Um, although the one the one thing that I did like is that they're really happy. It looks like the virus is getting purged, and like all the lights are coming on green, and then all the power just goes out. That was kind of neat. Like, at that moment, I'm like, oh, shit, all hell's going to break loose. And all hell does break loose, but it takes its sweet time. It does, and I do like the twist that, in, in essence, Skynet is both the virus and the antivirus. Yeah, it, imp- it implies that the virus that's messing up with the system was a, was, a de- was a virus cooked up by their AI to justify it being plugged into all those other servers. So that, that's kind of that's fun. And more of these sort of scenes, I think, earlier in the film would go a long way to sort of ramping up the threat of Skynet itself, because we don't get, we know what Skynet is from the other movies, but we don't get a whole lot of time with Skynet. You know, people are going into places to destroy prototypes and Skynet buildings, and so this was a a real missed opportunity. And I do like, uh, and one thing I do like, though, is this military facility where they're working on this stuff. You know, we see prototypes for the aerial drones that we saw in the first yeah, two movies. Yeah. We also see these prototypes of those big uh, robot tanks that we've seen in uh, the first two movies. And one thing that I really, really like is that when we see the uh, the tanks, the prototype tanks, they ha- they all have the serial number T1. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's, that's just neat. a neat bit of storytelling through through design. Like I love that these are the these are the first generation Terminators. These are the T ones. So Schwarzenegger's T eight fifty, who he plays in this movie, that's the eight hundred and fiftieth generation of this same technology. Yeah, no, that, that's that's a good detail. Um, there's an awful deleted scene that they cut from this part of the movie in which they explain why it's Arnold Schwarzenegger that's the humanoid uh, model for the T-800. Oh, I didn't know this. Uh, Lay it on me. So I I haven't seen it in a while. This is going from memory. But it's something like, it's like an educational sort of video, and it talks about uh, from the future, or or I I forget quite the circumstance, but it's like (laughs) there is this, uh, the Skynet identified this man that had the perfect like body type and musculature, 
that they decided they would use as the basis. And you meet like the original human version, and it's Schwarzenegger doing like a, a southern accent. It's like, howdy, how you doing? And like, that's the joke. And that when he opens his mouth, it doesn't, you know, he doesn't say like a Terminator catchphrase or something. That he was a, a, a hillbilly construction worker that had Which, the right physical, um, you know, muscle tone and stuff that they wanted to base the skin to go on top of the exoskeleton. In, although, I guess. speaking of catchphrases, they're all over this movie. We get every possible variation of I'll be back, she'll be back, I'll be back, she's back, I'm back, he'll be back. Uh, John Connor has a bad variation on Come With Me If You Want To Live at one point. You need something like Come With Me If You Want To Not Die. Yeah, it, it, they're, they're trying too hard. Like a few of those catchphrases, you almost have to put those in, right? The audience is expecting them and well-timed. It can be a good laugh, but like anything, too much is, um, it just loses its punch. A few too many notes, Salieri, or <laughs> however it goes. Yeah, like if, like let's say you like uh, peanut butter sandwiches, and you have it once a week, and oh, that's pretty good for my Friday lunch. If you have it every day, you're going to get sick of peanut butter sandwiches. Catch it's a monkey's paw. Yeah, it's a monkey's paw. But we, but we do get some fun action when when all the robots start going crazy and, and killing people, and we get we do get we do get a no holds barred fight between the TX and uh, Schwarzenegger, which overall I, I like the fight, but you know uh, uh, Schwarzenegger literally gets his head ripped off, um, and uh, the TX brings out her her data probe that she uses to reprogram machines. And I'm like, oh, shit, she's going to repair him and, and take him over. And which is part of me kind of wondered why hasn't that happened earlier? Is there I guess it takes time, which is why she can't just jab him with her finger and take him over. Um, but then we get to another bad effect because um, they uh, Kate and John get to a hangar and her father's plane is in that hangar, and she, she, this is one of those things where, like, as they see the plane, she goes, oh, that's my dad's plane, I've trained on it, like, th- that's, that's like a second between when the plane is introduced and the story justification for how she knows how to fly, like, you could have so smoothly worked that into dialogue about like her saying, you know, my, you know, my, you know, my, my dad and I, we don't see each other. We never really got along much, but I loved those flying lessons. Like that's something that should have been laid. That pipe should have been laid way earlier. Instead, it just undercuts things. Um, right. Or maybe at the beginning, have her before she's called to the vet office, have her like playing with a flight simulator and she has some banter with her husband. Yeah. Or something, or something like that. Right, but, there, there's um, so many things you could do, but yeah, that you do it on the way right before they get in this plane. Um, is very forced, and in tow is the T eight fifty. Yeah, and and so he so when so we go back and we see uh, you know the T eight fifty in the pile of rubble with his head still removed. He reactivates and reattaches his own head. In 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 an awful like sequence. That's just it. Look, it looks bad, and it's all and it's always well. Then if if he still works fine with his head detached. Why did he shut down? What the hell is this? Well, and then when he starts back up, he's a bit um, corrupted. Well, yeah, because like she didn't completely reprogram him. She put in a directive to kill John Connor, but he still has all of his old directions to protect John Connor. 
And there's this really bad herky jerky Frankenstein walking and, you know, bad talking, you know, I have been reprogrammed to kill. And something that I think what they're going for is like Captain Kirk using a logical paradox to defeat a killer robot. But instead, it's just, you know, John Connor almost casually pointing out, you've been programmed to kill me. You've been programmed to save me. And that just makes him shut down. But then he reboots and beats up a truck and he's fine. He beats up the truck for a, a really long time. It's like something you'd see in an anime. <laughs> he just yeah, well, I, I made the joke that he's playing that bonus level in Street Fighter. Uh, that's right. Yeah. He's like, wham, wham, wham. And that you see Schwarzenegger for a second do a bad Terminator makes me wish he was a bad Terminator the whole movie. What if the plot would have been like, there's a T850 and a TX sent to kill, and they're both sent to kill John Connor for whatever reason. They're both sent from Skynet. Like, maybe that's the twist. There's not a Terminator to protect you. There's not someone from the future to save you. Yeah, or like, it's you know, it's still, it's still time travel. So, oh, God, actually, you know, that, this might have to be my pitch of sequel, but maybe that should be it. They're both sent by Skynet, but from different times. Because oh, so Skynet yeah, sends neat. one back in time to kill him, but then realizes if John Connor is killed, something won't happen that would have otherwise created Skynet. So Skynet has to send yet another one back in time to foil its own plan. How did you think of the way they finished off the TX? Well, okay, so so um, at, at one point Schwarzenegger gets shot with TX's plasma cannon, and there's a scene, they're in a vehicle, and he cuts his chest open, and he talks about how, you know, I've, I'm powered by dual hydrogen reactor cells. If the containment is breached, they become highly unstable. And he pulls out one of his batteries and just tosses it, which is, like, red and glowing and making a beeping noise, and tosses it out of the vehicle. And then it exp- there's a huge explosion in the background. And I thought, like, well, that better come back. And, and it does. Um, they find... Uh, so uh, the T-850 tells them about this secret facility that contains the core of Skynet servers, and if they can blow that up, then they might, if not pr- out, if they can do that before the nuclear launch, they might prevent Judgment Day. And so they get there with uh, Kate's father's code book. They manage to get in, uh, but the TX crashes a helicopter into the entrance, and then the T-850 crashes an even larger helicopter into the entrance. There's a fight. But anyway, there's this big metal door. They crawl under it. Uh, Schwarzenegger is, is holding it open. The TX is trying to crawl through there. The TX is getting ripped apart. So finally, what ends up happening is that the is that uh, T850 is grappling with TX. He opens his chest, pulls out the reactor, crushes it to breach the containment unit, and shoves it into the TX's mouth, saying, "You are terminated." And then it's a, a big explosion. And I guess I guess that works because mechanically it's justified. They've set up that those power cells explode, although that then raises the question, why didn't any of the previous Terminators explode when they died uh, in ways that would have destroyed their containment? Maybe this is unique to the 850. I don't know. I, I think you're right. That's, they don't – although they do set it up earlier, as you mentioned, they, um, they you could have done more at that, but – I really like the very end of this film. I think it's pretty audacious and ballsy. Oh, no, like, the the ending kind of turned me around on the whole film, because they go into this facility, and they don't find any computer servers. They find a lot of old computer technology, a lot of stuff from, like, the 70s, uh, old analog TV cameras, uh, a podium for the president to give a speech, and, like, lots of furniture. Uh, and then it occurs to them, their Terminator lied to them. 
this isn't where the Skynet servers are because the servers are – it's a distributed network. There's no central server. This is, in fact, an abandoned facility that would have housed the U.S. government uh, in the event of a full-on nuclear attack. It's a bomb shelter. The T- the T-850 tricked them into entering it so that they are completely protected when Judgment Day happens. And in fact, Judgment Day happens. We see the nuclear launch. Um, they get a radio signal from other facilities across the United States. And and it's in that moment, you know, that John Connor responds to a message. And we now see this is how he builds the military network that he's going to use to lead the revolution against Skynet. And it's this wonderful sort of bittersweet, melancholy, sci-fi time travel ending that I really, really appreciate. And this is another one of those things that makes me feel like this script must have been written in the 90s. This does not end like a post-9-11 film. It's not a big, rah-rah, happy ending. I mean, it's nuclear bombs going off all over the world. (laughs) Yeah, very, very dark ending, and it it sort of pays off something that's set up earlier in the film, and when uh, John Connor and the T-850 are driving with uh, Kate in the back, and he says, well, wait, I thought we stopped Judgment Day, and and the T-850 goes like, no, you only delayed it. And I I like that the the message or the theme it's sort of going for, that ultimately, as much as you want to try to change the future drastically with time travel, that you can't, that future, you know, there's some um, predetermination thing going on. I think that's pretty powerful. Well, it it seems to me that, like, the, if we want to talk about you know to, to borrow to borrow terminology from Doctor Who, if we want to talk about fixed points within a time travel narrative, ah. th- all these movies would seem to imply that no no matter what, the Terminators have to go is the events of the first film have to happen. So no matter what, we always need Skynet and we always need it. We always need time travel technology invented. Though that always has to happen, and that's the one thing that never changes in any of these movies, right? Um, so, would you recommend Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines? I, I am, I am really, I'm really on on the fence about this. I guess I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a a a soft, melancholy sequel. Yes, on, only because. If you consider the first three movies a trilogy, this gives us a nice end point. And and it's an end point I really appreciate. I love the tone it hits at the end. The end does not negate um, all any of the cheesy bad comedy we saw in this movie. It doesn't negate the stuff that didn't work, but it's so good, it kind of retroactively makes that stuff bearable. It's worth getting to this point. I'll have to go slightly... Slightly on the other side, give it a, a sequel. No, it the ending I think is excellent. There there are some good um, action scenes, especially early on, as we mentioned. But uh, the, the TX just isn't quite enough of a threat, and the script is too Agreed. jokey, and the characters are too um, weak. It, it's there's too much ingredients missing from this Terminator soup. That I have to say, sequel. No, like it's not terrible. Like if it's on TV or you can get it like for a dollar. You can do a lot worse. There's a lot worse science fiction films out there. There's a lot. There's even worse Terminator sequels, as we'll talk about uh, <laughs> later in the series. So something that do, that does occur to me, and so th- there are some tonal problems with this movie, and something I'm not sure whether it was supposed to be a grim joke or not, 
one of the things we learn in the info dump is that uh, is that John Connor in the future gets assassinated by a Terminator. In fact, we find out he gets assassinated by the same T-850 that is sent back in time in this movie, which has been reprogrammed by Kate Brewster. Um, and one of, and one of the things that is that when they leave the T850 behind when he's holding up that door you know the T850 you know says you know we will meet again well yeah we'll meet again when you kill him in the future mhm that that's I, I can't tell if that's a joke or if that's supposed to be grim and build up to that tone or or, or of the ending or not although this does raise the question now that he knows a terminator of this model will try to kill him can he just not trust that model going forward and not let it kill him i mean that's a more interesting gem for a germ for a story right there i think is that you know know, what if it's in the future and john connor has his trusty terminator friend t800 thing and yeah, at the end, he turns around, and, and like that's the end. He turns around and dies. It's like that fable of the scorpion and the toad. Oh yeah. Speaking of scorpion and toads, time to pitch a sequel. Um, Woo! I so I, I had this one in mind. I was, I was spitballing ideas on on Twitter with people, um, and mine is a bit crazy. But I like you know if you're going to go time travel, and you're just doing it in the '80s and '90s, um, you can go so much further back. And so I'm thinking, what can Skynet do? And I, and I thought, ha, they will defeat an even earlier uh, relative of the the version of the Connors. And this would be a uh, a general, or no, it would be a first lieutenant Connor in the late 1800s assigned um, from England to go to Japan. And you would have Terminators versus Samurais versus, like, muskets. <laughs> and uh, a, the, the Terminator sent to them would be a Terminator sort of based on... Um, Chow Yun-Fat? Not Chow Yun-Fat, but um, probably Ken Watanabe or something. And, <laughs> and you would have... Uh, just oh no no this one's even better it would not be Ken Watanabe it would be Corey Hiroyuki uh, the guy that was um, Shane Sun in the Mortal Kombat movie huh would be the evil Terminator and um, Schwarzenegger wouldn't be in it this would be trying to do it without Schwarzenegger because he's governor and you would just have a ridiculous scene of a, a, an ancestor to John Connor picking up a samurai sword and like jamming it in the side of a T eight hunt of a Terminator and getting electrocuted. <laughs> uh, there would be um some versions of like early early robotics technology because they're in Japan somehow in the eighteen hundreds. In, in the eighteen hundreds, there's like some covert robotic technology we know nothing about. And it would it's, be called. <laughs> I've got a puntastic title. Oh, okay, go for one. it because I can't think of one. <laughs> okay, okay he's gonna go Terminator Shogun Eight. Very good, Terminator <laughs> Shogun Eight. So, uh, what about your? What's your uh, pitch a sequel? 
So I want to go since, since since we've had tones all over the place. Uh, I want to go all over the place uh, as with the tone as well. So my my sequel it's going to be all about John Connor and Kate Brewster. It's going to be a it's going to be a Woody Allen esque character study, somewhat comical, somewhat farcical, somewhat melancholy, of them living in the bunker, waiting for the radiation levels to die down before they can leave. And it's all about their amusing Jeez. attempts to pass the time. But it's also like the cycle of their relationship. You know, like they fall in love. They try to make mm-hmm. it work. They, they're going to have a messy breakup. They each move to different sides of the fallout shelter. So um, this is a really low budget sequel, I'm hearing. Because it's just well, two people I in mean, a room. I mean, if we have, essentially, but if we have money, I'd love to use it. Like, you know, like they, they'll explore the bunker. They'll find, like, you know, tennis courts, swimming pools, um, fish hatcheries. Like, they'll, 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 they'll find, there'll be a lot of, of, of stuff with them just trying to find amusing ways to pass the time. And that'll, that'll observe, and there'll be some well-observed jabs at entertainment and pop culture based on, like, what they do. Like, I love the idea that all, like, the most advanced technology in there is stuff from the 70s. So, like, they have some Betamax tapes, but they don't have any movies more recent than, like, 77. It's like, oh, you want to watch this for the 1,000th time? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and you know, and then at the, at the end, like, they have... Like you know, it, it ends with them having a big fight, makeup scene, and then the radiation levels die down. And like the only companionship they have is them talking on radios to other people trapped in other bunkers. And we never see these other people, but we hear their voices, and like we learn what weird stuff that they are up to, and like you know what they're like, what they think of each other. <laughs> Uh, and, and, it, and it will end. It will end with them finally opening the doors and and, and you know leaving uh, with a stronger commitment to each other and the future of humanity. Is it revealed that the name of the bunker is Archie? You know what? That'll be one of the gags. I see. Yeah, fitting with the, that time period. Yeah, they call it Fort Archie. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jeez. And there could be a Jughead too. Why the hell not? Uh, just layer those references on, and I'm going to call that. Uh, and you know, actually, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna call it a, a, a T T four bunker down, bunker down. Very very good. Um, before we go into the next segment, I was just found something interesting. Uh, looking at the domestic yeah. uh, box office gross for 2003 when Terminator Three came out, um, domestic being the United States and Canada. Um, where do you think Terminator Three landed? There were a lot of blockbusters that year. I'm going to say 11. Uh, close. Eight. Huh. So it, in the United States and Canada, it made slightly more than The Matrix Revolutions, the third Matrix film. Huh. But it made less than Elf and uh, X-Men 2. And uh, the number one film of 2003, by a wide shot, Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With number two being Finding Nemo, which I didn't realize that one was so big. Oh, that was a that was a great movie. I, actually, I think every every movie you've mentioned is something one I saw in the theaters at the time. Yeah, we um, we used to in college. Had you graduated by then? No, I, I was uh, I was still in. You were still in, yeah. So we we went to the movies a lot back then. And in fact, I remember having having a bit of an argument with the woman I was dating at the time about Finding oh. Nemo being so successful. 
did she thought you were being fishy about it? Well, <laughs> well, well, no, we, we were just sort of we were you know we were talking about the movies being made now and what we can because inf- at the time we both thought we were going to be going into film uh, after graduation, mm-hmm. yeah. and you know we were talking about you know what we could extrapolate going forward, and she she really she really took offense that that in in her own words that the best movie of the year was about a talking fish and she was talking critically and commercially and presumably by her own estimation and, and my you know my stance was there, there's nothing wrong with that we've been using animals to tell stories for as long as we've told stories and you know it's if if there's if if there's something wrong with the best movie of the year being about a talking fish it's not the movie about a talking fish's fault it's the other movie's fault for not being better but and at the just, same time just, that's just still because, one of the best pixar movies right and like just because you like a movie about a talking fish and thought it was the best for the year doesn't invalidate um the the girl's opinion of what she thought was the best film well well she seemed to think that it was the best film too but she didn't like that it was oh hmm that's uh, that's an odd uh take. well i I think it's that it's it's an attitude and you'll you'll often see this in criticism and you'll definitely see this in award season just like the the idea that if it's animated it can't truly be good if it's a comedy it can't truly be good i mean it's it's the same it's the same reason why well hell let's uh let's let's look at the oscars you know you have you have a movie like like green book which wins the Oscar for Best Picture despite not being as good at being itself as the other movies. That it yeah, was and I, I even heard some scuttlebutt that the Academy voters for Green Book picked Green Book out of spite because it was... I could, I could see that because we, you know, we, we don't the... know how people... We don't know why people voted the way they did. Mm-hmm. And I could, I could see that. Well, and a lot of the Academy voters are or older, uh, and that, you know, but less so now, and I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing more diverse um, nominations for Best Picture and, and themes winning, uh, actors of color winning more awards, and that sort of a thing. Um, and I am really proud this year, I haven't still seen the movie, but I've heard it's great, that the Spider-Man uh, won for Best Animated. It deserved it. Yep. It um, absolutely deserved it. No, but you know it's it's like that between when whenever there's like an award for best picture, a mediocre drama will always win over a great comedy or a great adventure film. Yeah, and I've heard talk of you know people saying, well, maybe that Matt there should be a, a best comedy category, and I think like no, because then I can see why they did it for animation. I think that's different enough, and it wouldn't get recognized otherwise. Uh, and yet that line becomes blurry. Look, how much of the Avengers has computer animation in it? Well, that's, Is that's it like true. You kind of have to, of, right? Like, I don't know. Parse that out. Well, the, the other thing, and whenever, whenever I have these kind of discussions, I always think back to, uh, the critic, uh, which, Hey, speaking of which, if you can find them, uh, Shermometer critiquing the critic, uh, one of our previous podcasts, um, look it up. It's pretty cool. But in the critic webisodes, there's this great line where it's an Oscar special and Jay Sherman's whole intro is, ah, yes, the Oscars, the award ceremony built upon the fallacy that every year Hollywood has a best picture. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, that's too funny. I I think it's particularly, we'll get into our, what you're watching thing in the second dear listeners, but, um, 
I was really thrown for a loop uh, recently with the the news story about how Steven Spielberg was going on and on about how um, you know movies made by Netflix that don't play in a theater for at least so many weeks shouldn't be eligible for an Oscar. And it seems oh, yeah, like, it like that's not a, yeah that's not a real movie. And then a few weeks later, he's on the reel for one of the directors uh, doing exclusive material for Apple TV is Steven Spielberg. And it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like more and more stuff is going streaming. The theater stuff is being less popular than it was. Um, well, it's something it's something that the Academy is going to have to reckon with. Yes. You know, what what if yep. it's a brilliant film, but it doesn't use an old fashioned 20th century distribution model? Right. I mean, yeah, because the, also the physical media is less popular. More and more stuff is streaming um, or digital download, which is this whole separate argument. Um, and that sounds like a topic for a special show or something. I think we talked about that before <laughs> years ago, but technology has changed enough that it's worth visiting. We got Skynets now. We do. I saw a Skynet-like video of, uh, uh, I think from the Seattle headquarters or something, of Amazon having a master ship spitting out like 10 drones. And it's like this, it's like right out of Terminator. It's creepy. <laughs> It, it 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 is and like i like i i would like i you can have a relationship with your your local postal carrier you can't have a relationship with the drone i see the drones the first thing i think of are are kids or or creative adults are going to find ways to knock those out of the sky and steal all the packages it's it's going to be a regular shadow run style situation i think so. <laughs> i think so you're going to have to have, like, self-defense guns on the drones, and then it's an escalation of warfare, <laughs> bulletproofing. I don't know. It, it, it'll be curious to see how things go. Like, you'll figure out, like, a specific QR code where if that's stuck to your front door, when the drone lands, drop off a package, it won't take off because it scanned that QR code, and that Ooh, like fucks that with some glitch in its processors. Yeah. Um, so, Thrasher, what you're watching? I, all right, so... Uh, I recently uh, downloaded just just kind of as a wild hair because I was looking for for different things to watch. As I downloaded uh, the Tubi TV app, um, and I discovered that on, on the Tubi TV app they had uh, the original Japanese uh, Power Rangers uh, Super Sentai mm. Zygu Ranger. If I, I'm if I'm pronouncing it correctly, and. Just for fun, like, well, I, I've always wanted to to see what this show originally was, so I watched the first episode. Now I am rewatching, no, or now I'm not rewatching, watching that entire series. So, and is it, this an it, app for like a, a streaming service you have to subscribe to, or is it one of those where it's free? Or um, they, uh, you can you can watch it for free with with uh, limited advertising. Oh, okay. There is. You can sign up for it, and I think there's a paid version, but I haven't really looked looked into that. Uh, my wife and I kind of set a hard limit on right. how many streaming services we'll pay for at oh, any yeah, one no, time, and we're at our limit currently. It's um, but it's it's really been fascinating because, like, so Power Rangers, so Power Rangers, uh, you know, it, it was it was a uh, it started out as a cheap kid show on the Fox Kids Network that used special effects and action footage from a Japanese show, in this case, Zayu Ranger. But then they would they would cut in American actors for all the for all the non action stuff, and they would just sort of recycle that footage. And when it came out, I had I had already gotten into anime and manga, and I like I 
and I'd always been a huge kaiju fan, so like I want to watch. I, I want more stuff from Japan, and it was hard to get stuff from Japan in the early to mid '90s. So I would watch Power Rangers. I would put up with the shitty American parts I hated just for the five or so minutes of footage from a Japanese show that I would get to see. Um, and now that I've seen the original Japanese show that it's based on, I feel cheated. Yeah, do they cut so it to I- ribbons? Yeah, well, not not only that, but Zy Ranger, the stories are better, the characters are more interesting. There's more special effects, and like all sorts of like it's it's weird. There's it, the show is even bigger and crazier in the Japanese version, but then like the 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 characters matter, and like the 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 motivation. So so in the American version, you know, the they they change the villain's name to Rita Repulsa. She's just typical witch that wants to take over slash destroy the world. In the Japanese version, she's a witch named Bandora. Her goal is to make the human race go extinct. But the way she wants to do that is basically by making it so that there's no children, because children are, you know, are the future. You get rid of all the children, the human race isn't going to continue. So most of her evil schemes involve some way of attacking family bonds or attacking the family unit. And it leads to a lot of really interesting subtext. Um, and also stuff that I wouldn't expect. Like there, 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 there's been a lot of stuff in, in the zeitgeist about, you know, about fat shaming and uh, the representation of overweight characters. And, uh, and the American version of Power Rangers is certainly guilty of its fair number of fat jokes. A lot of them, you know, directed at the character called uh, Bulk. Well, there's an episode of Zygu Ranger where there's this overweight kid. And when the overweight kid is introduced, he's being bullied by some other school kids and that's the only that that's the only time we see him bullied or picked on or made fun of because of his weight. The whole rest of the show, it's about the importance of family mealtime. It's about the importance mm. of a family coming together over a shared meal and how how that creates an important bond between people. And 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 he's still and the kid's still the kid's still overweight. His parents are his parents are overweight. They do enjoy a big meal, but like they're never portrayed as disgusting. They never like they they never mock them for eating too much, and they really don't eat too much. They they just you know they just like a hearty portion. But hell, I like a hearty portion. Uh, it it's really fascinating to see the way this this show, the way the American version of the show and the original Japanese version of the show handle different things. Um. So it's really has been a fascinating rewatch. So now how many it's not seasons? all great. Oh, uh, oh yeah. there, 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 there is like in the very first episode of the Japanese version, there's a panty shot which I did not see coming and was very gratuitous, especially this being <laughs> a kids show. But overall, it's been a much better experience, and I've really enjoyed watching this series. They have some of the other Super Sentai series available with subtitles, so I might uh, end up watching some of the other ones when I'm done with this. So how many seasons are available? Because Power Rangers is still making new episodes that's on TV to this day. Um, on the on on the Tubi TV app, uh, I believe five. A lot of episodes per season, I imagine. I think I think it's like it's like thirty plus. Wow. I haven't actually done an official that's a count. Lot. That'll keep you busy. I figure it's just going to end when it ends. Also, the green one much cooler uh, in uh, the Japanese version with a full on arc. Like he actually has motivation for being a bad guy when he's introduced. 
Imagine that. There's more. There's more storytelling like, to the point where I'm like, surely it would have been cheaper to just dub this into English, and it would have been just as big. I don't. I don't know why we got the version we got, unless they just assumed Americans wouldn't watch something with a primarily Japanese cast. Uh, I think that maybe, and also they wanted to capture some of that Saved by the Bell kind of flavor. Okay, yeah, yeah, I could see that with the live action stuff. Um, I, I'll give the American show credit for at least uh, they had you know men and women and people of different races as the Rangers. It wasn't all white guys, um, which, which it easily true. could have been at the time. Although that first season, uh, the Black Ranger was African American and the Yellow Ranger uh, was Korean, and that's kind of fucked up. That, that is that's very fucked up. Yes, um, and that got two theatrical movies in the U.S. I wonder if it got more in Japan. Oh no, there there are several uh, there are several uh, okay. Super Sentai movies yeah. in Japan. We you know we ought to do the uh, we ought to do the American That'd release Power Rangers movie at some point. It was Power Rangers and then Turbo, I think. Yeah, Turbo, a Power Rangers movie, oh, that, which geez. is such a sophisticated title. Title. Well, if you just called it Turbo, people wouldn't know it was Power Rangers. Or Turbo Ranger. <laughs> necessarily, yeah. Turbo, what is this about cars going fast? Is this about a Mario Kart power-up? What's happening oh, here? Yeah, and then there's the third Power Rangers movie that came out like a year or two ago with Brian Cranston. Oh, I forgot that even happened. You know, I was at a, a convention um, here in Oregon right before that came out, and there was a... We were in line to get pictures with oh um some some celebrity uh, or something uh, one of those photo ops and uh, the the two girls in front of us were I, I would say middle school age but they were dressed as Power Rangers outfit and cool. we were sort of talking about the movie I don't know that much about the show and they were really into that current version of Power Rangers I think that was more magic focused they were kind of trying to do like Harry Potter meets Power Rangers. Yeah, there's like a Mystic Ranger, Power Rangers Mystic Force, I think was mm-hmm. how it was released in the States. And they were just saying how much they liked that angle of it, and I was, uh, but I, I could barely, I felt like I was talking in a different language that I wasn't fluent in, because I know next to nothing <laughs> about the Power Rangers except that they existed, so. I, I have, you know, with with the way I keep drifting into and out of anime, it's it's kind of like that for me when talking about anime with people. Oh, anime is worse because like there's thousands and thousands, if not tens of thousands, by well, now of like different programs and stuff. So with the common points of reference, is, well, you um, got the series, but then you got the theatrical movie, but then you got the direct-to-video movie, but then you got the OVAs, and you got. But the then direct- you have the '90s uh, reboot, and then there's direct-to-video movie that's a retelling of the main series that is not quite in canon, or you know, like or what with the uh, Evangelion, it's really complicated and they're doing the netflix is doing a stream of that that has a new dub cast and the original english dub cast wasn't invited to be part of it i i was never able to get into neon genesis and i i really really tried i yeah i only watched the first few episodes i couldn't get into it i love the theme song i think it's a great theme song (laughs) uh and somewhere in youtube there I, i don't recall the guy's name but uh this guy did a he sang a cover of the Evangelion theme song in Japanese as Goofy, and it's very funny. <laughs> Come on, Sora! Right. Ulu <laughs> senses. Uh, all right, but what have I been watching? Well, I've been extremely busy at work. I haven't been, but I, I have been. I was recently a guest on another podcast. I guess I'll talk about that. Uh, and I was on a. Uh, talking about the video game Star Wars Battlefront 2 on the 
Cloud City Casino podcast. I don't think the episode is up quite yet, but that's a episode co-hosted by Nathan P. Butler, who we had on the show cool. uh, talking about his Star Wars home video uh, history book. And he we had him as a guest, I think, on the Revenge of the Sith episode several years ago. Um, but doing that episode with him was fun. It was kind of awkward. I tried to find a quiet place to do it in, which was a bar at 11 a.m., which was a mistake because it wasn't that quiet. Um, and uh, but, but this Star Wars Battlefront game, have you ever played any of those, these online only for the most part? Uh, I played the first Star Wars Battlefront. I never played any of the other ones. Yeah, so th- this new one, it, it has a single-player mode with a story that is sort of interesting, but it's also kind of buggy. And they have been adding new content, but it's been real slow going. Um, but um, the cool thing is they've been adding a lot of hero units from the Clone Wars um, hmm. cartoon and, and so forth. And they have, you know, it's a pretty realistic likeness of Christopher Lee and, and uh, Ewan McGregor and all those people. Um, and I was talking specifically about a new mode that I don't think quite works called Capital Supremacy in which you have two teams set in the Clone Wars on Geonosis, and it's two phases. One is you have to capture five control points um, for at least, you know, 50 seconds or something. And then you go onto a ship, a, a like a Star Destroyer ship, and then you have to capture points to destroy it. But if you don't do that in time, then you have to go back to the planet and capture the five points again. So... It, what I'm getting at is these matches can take 90 minutes sometimes, which is a bit um, strange. Hmm. And also, you think, because uh, you're going up to fight a, uh, going to Star Destroyer, you'd have space combat as like a, a segment, but you don't, and that's a big letdown. <laughs> Weird. Oh, you know, I, it just occurred to me something I'm kind of surprised that we didn't talk about, especially given your connection with U.A. Bowl. But uh, uh, Kristana Loken was Rain in Blood Rain. She was, and, and she has been in a few other U.A. Bowl movies, too. I think most notably Attack on Door 4, which is one of his um, later political films. Yeah, she was Rain in Blood Rain. And um, do you ever see any of those? You know, re- regrettably, no. Like, I... I, I never have, but like I've I've wanted to. Of all yeah. of UA Bowl's output, like like I the worst vampire movie I still find incredibly entertaining. I would love to see his take on a vampire. Well, movie. Well, maybe we should do those on the show. I think you know one of the things that makes that series more interesting is each takes place in a different time period. Um, the first one uh, is in like middle age, well, not middle ages, eh, sort of like like f- typical fantasy kind of stuff. Uh, the second one is the Wild West in the U.S., but it incorporates real Wild West historical characters into vampire mythos, which is odd. And the third one is Nazi Germany. Um, so, and uh, but but Kostrata Loken, to answer your question, is only in the first one. In the hmm. other two, they had Natasha Amatha um, play her, and she is uh, as Blood Rain. I much prefer Kristana um, Loken. I think she. It goes for kind of like the feral vampire side, and there's a lot of screaming and intensity and physicality. Um, that, and, but she's also working with the script. I think that's a bit less jokey than some of the other ones. Oh, you know what? She also played Tiffany Kendall in the posthumously produced um, Jim Henson sitcom Aliens in the Family. She played the babysitter. <laughs> that's, that's a real deep cut. Um, yeah, it is. She, Don't look it up. Do not look it up. <laughs> She also did uh, 
was the lead in a sci-fi channel series based off a comic book, Painkiller Jane. Oh, yeah. And um, it was actually because she was in Painkiller Jane, she wasn't able to reprise the role of uh, Blood Rain. Interesting. So, yeah, I think those could be fun to do on the show. And there is something about, I agree, I think vampires, you can give them more leeway uh, somehow. And, um, I mean, I'm working on a sort of larger like book about Uwe Boll's video game movies, but I think part of what makes his movies interesting, and you can argue whether they're good or bad, which I don't think is really the point, is he's not like that slavish to the video games, which is a mistake I think a lot of other video game movies make. Hmm. Or, or, or they're like, they're slavish to the wrong things. Uh, yeah, uh, that from too, the game. right. Um, geez. But you know what we're slavish to? The script. What? The the script that we're going to read now. Oh yes. <laughs> Sequel scene. Uh, it, you could do the Terminator because that was the Terminator last time. This is the okay. scene. Um, so this is the scene after the big exposition dump. It's, right. It's before they. It's before they go to the military base to confront uh, to confront uh, the 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 Air Force about about you know Skynet, and it's John Connor. So essentially. He's pulled out a gun, and John Connor is threatening to shoot himself to make it impossible for the Terminator to complete his mission. That's so, right. So let's go. So that's the that's this, and that's an interesting high tension scene. So you cannot self terminate. No, you can't. I can do anything I want. I'm a human being, not some goddamn robot. Cybernetic organism. Whatever. Either we go and save her dad, or so much for the great John Connor. Because your future, my destiny, I want no part in it. I never did. Based on your pupil dilation, skin temperature, and motor functions, I calculate an 83% probability that you will not pull the trigger. That last Terminator line isn't bad. I kind of like that one. Well, it's nice and mechanical and robotic, and it's one of those things where this Terminator, it's it's uh, it's set up that human psychology and it, it particularly how to read sort of humans for, for psych for ticks that, that might lead into what they're thinking is something he's been programmed and how to recognize. Right. So, um, yeah, there we go. So you can follow me, uh, next time on sequel cast two, we'll be covering Terminator salvation. I always forget the title of this film because it's so bland salvation. <laughs> does that mean the Terminator salvates? I don't know what that means. Is the do, term- we, do, we, do we salvage the Terminator franchise? Do we salvage? Yeah. Um, is so. Yeah. How how many uh, reviews do you think had the title Terminator salvaged? Terminator, not such a salvation. Yeah, there, that that would be interesting to look up. I think there's a lot of um, reviews on there, um, and it stars uh, among others the late Anton Yelchin. Oh yeah, as Kyle Reese, nonetheless. So, yeah, we'll be talking about Terminator Salvation, and then after that, the following week, Terminator Genesis. And I guess we should decide this now live on air, because I always like being awkward. What what should we cover next? Well, you know, we, we talked, if we can find it, why not do uh, do the Power Rangers movies as a palate cleanser? Okay. It's a short series. Yeah, it's a short series. Let me, uh, let me see if I can, should be able to track those down. If not, you know, if worse comes to worse, we can do like an Amazon rental or something to check okay. those out. Um, cool, yeah, that sounds good. And I wonder if they're... It'll be good because, like, you have seen a lot of the series and I haven't. So I have that kind of different perspective on it. Yeah, both the American version and the Japanese version. Yeah, so that's going to be point, interesting. Right, yeah. um, 
Very good. Do you remember how many seasons the uh, American Power Rangers went on for before we got a movie of it? Uh, I feel like two. That quickly. But then okay. again, the show had a weird production schedule slash history, so it might not have had definite production seasons uh, the way a lot of shows did. It felt like something that was sort of constantly in production and constantly finding new ways to resell. Actually, we can talk about this on the episode, but there is like a two or three episode arc um, in in the American Power Rangers that is only there to cover for them needing to secure the rights to more special effects footage from Japan while still filling out an episode order that they're contractually obligated to make. Youch. All right, so uh, you can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. You can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. Uh, Facebook, uh, look up SequelCast2 and, and like the, the page there. We post you know updates, but you can also go to SequelCast2.com. And um, and uh, if you use the Apple Podcast app, if you could leave us a review, that would be great. We have had uh, two reviews in two years of doing this version of the program, and that cool. would be great to have more. That helps with the downloads, which is always fun. Um, we need, we, our third year's coming up, so third year anniversary, give us a review. Third year anniversary, and our I think we're on the 11th year of podcasting together and doing sequel cast in some form. Sounds about right. I, I can't believe that, but um, hopefully we'll do 100 more. Or not 100, what am I talking about? 10 more. 100 years uh, of SequelCast 2. 100 years of podcasting. Um, well, why don't we end, before we end proper, let's do a Shecky, uh, I think I got a phone call coming in from Shecky Spielboig. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's, I, I meant to talk to him about his, about, uh, about his connection to this series. Pick up. Hi, how you doing, Tarasha? You're talking about I'm doing, the, doing pretty well. Talking about, the doing, Tor- talking about Terminator. Yeah, and I've heard you have a unique connection to this series. I do, yeah. So, uh, first movie comes out, big hit. You got the videotapes, and we got. How am I going to do my own Terminator? So I thought, ah, that's in the title. I call it Terminator. T o i m i n a t o r t t o r r. I can't spell that well. I couldn't spell that well back then either. So it's Terminator. It's right next to the real thing on the box on the shelves, and uh, my version was a real doozy. Yeah, no, I heard. I heard that you uh, actually decided to go ahead and have it star a uh, a uh, woman as the titular killing machine. That's right. Did it start a woman I uh, saw on the side of the street? She was dressed very colorfully in Las Vegas. I said, "Hey, do you want to go to my room and make a movie?" She said, "Yes." Uh, the results were somewhat unsuspected. I did not expect so much sex content in the picture, but that's okay. And uh, uh, it, it, there's a 30-minute sequence of her jumping up and down on the bed, topless, saying, I'm the Toyminator, I'm the Toyminator. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it was a, a unique way of doing a monologue, but it's kind of it's kind of a bare-bones Dogma 95 uh, sort of thing, the way you use one camera, one shot, one location, all natural lighting. All natural lighting, but um, uh, implants were not natural, if you know what I'm saying. Well, you know, well, it's, it's, it's hard to find natural implants. I think that's a technology that we still haven't, haven't quite cracked. My uh, my kid sister went to uh, Mexico and had implants done with dirt. They said it was uh, all natural, but that that caused a, a nasty uh, situation. Yeah, I would say that's probably medically unsound. Um, but uh, did you ever try to do uh, your own T two? I'm assuming it would be T space T O O if you had done a sequence of Toyminator. 
The sequel to Toy Minator. I uh, the sequel, yeah, was called uh, T T T Two. What was the name? The extra T. And, and how how did you just narratively? How did you justify that sequel? Because the ending of Toy Minator was pretty definitive. That's right. The ending of uh, the original uh, my Toy Minator was she's jumping up and down on the bed, the one shot for the whole movie, saying, I'm a Toyminator, I'm a Toyminator. And then she, uh, we hear some explosions, and she passes out, and we think she's dead. But then it zooms into her eyes, and her eyes open. Cut to credits. So now the Toyminator is, <laughs> oh, this eye, so these, what, uh, what, what memories we have. <laughs> yeah. So we go, and uh, she is uh, alive. It's, it's uh, you know, 10 years later, just like the other one. And instead of jumping out of bed, she jumps on a trampoline, pretty provocative, using the outdoor lighting of the sun. God's greatest cinematographer. <laughs> well, I mean, life is the, the true, unreliable narrator. And then for the third one, uh, we'll talk about the other sequels, I guess, later. Toyminator 3, Rise of the Toyminators. <laughs> <laughs> it's... I just threw... The same actress who is much older, a lot of sun damage, into a closet with a lot of toys. And all you uh, see is the close-up of the door shut and her stepping on toys, screaming, I'm a Toyminator. But she's in pain because she's stepping on the toys. So that's where you... But that's where you... It's like a a Japanese foot crush video, only you don't see it. It's very conceptual. Yeah. In in fact, that was my... uh, I talked to noted uh, Japanese uh, foot crush director... Yamatama Shumazupi, and uh, well, you know the rest. Really, I thought he would have gone to Hong Kong, like a Hong Kong director, like Sue Horikboig. Um, we we're not on speaking terms at the moment. Oh, that's true. Well, I, I hope that that can that can get resolved. I would love to see you all collaborate again. Like your 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 bigger bigger trouble in smaller China was very amazing. That's right. We had a we did Chinese takeout and used little action figures on top of the takeout. So first he's in Rice Land, and then goes to Orange Chicken Country. Uh, we we set a few things on fire for effects. In fact, uh, one of those scenes in uh, in that we put a a firework inside of the uh, the, the the chicken, and it it almost burned the apartment down. But great production value. I mean, nothing looks more like fire on film than a lot of fire. That's right. Speaking about this, I'm uh, about to get fired from this phone call. I'm running out of credits on my card, so uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to you later next week when it'll be uh, Terminator 4 Salvation. Man, we we got to get you on Skype so it's cheaper for you to be to be on these calls. But thank you for calling in, Shecky. What's a Skype? Oh, geez. Okay, so... <laughs> Shecky Spielboig, always, always a, America's national treasure. Um, yeah, I, we have, we should hear from him more. It's been a while. And I also, I've been looking and I found more copies in the archive of the uh, original BBC sequel cast show. So, oh, sequentially speaking, se- cool. Sequentially speaking, so. Yeah, we'll maybe, have to get that out in a maybe future Maybe some episode. of that in the future. But as we mentioned, we should wrap up this episode. <laughs> so, uh, for sequel cast two, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Sane. The true Skynet was the friends we made along the way. Oh, God. <laughs> Let the car-